You're listening to the Rich State of Mind Show, the podcast made to make you the total package in the entrepreneurial world and give you what we call a rich state of mind. If you are here looking to learn about real estate investing, marketing, elevating your business, and developing your mindset to get to the next level, then you are at the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join our community on richstateofmind.com. Now here's your host, Anthony Ritchie. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 64 where I'm talking to Greg Blake. Greg is a copywriter and marketing consultant. His type of copywriting is not to be confused though with uh, being able to protect your images and your intellectual properties. That's the other copywriting that's spelled C-O-P-Y-R-I-G-H-T. His copywriting is is spelled C-O-P-Y-W-R-I-T-E-R. So he is able to show you how to create a digital lead machine. That's what he does as a copywriter. So Greg has been helping coaches and real estate agents slash investors attract new motivated leads daily. He teaches and creates simple methods that generates pre-qualified leads with the push of a button. His frameworks and do done for services make marketing less of a numbers game by tilting the odds in his client's favor. So uh, I think this is a another unique episode where we're talking about copywriting. Uh, never been able to talk about it before, but I think it's definitely a key part of your business. Like I said, we like to talk about in rich state of mind, being having a complete business. You may not be able to do every aspect of your business, but there are people out there that provides a service that could take your, your business to the next level. So please enjoy this episode and thank you for listening. Hey, Greg, thanks for taking the time this evening in uh, West Virginia, as I'm in Virginia. Uh, if you could please tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Hey, no problem, man. Thanks for inviting me. Um, what I do, I'm, I'm a copywriter. I help people, you know, kind of iron out their message and relate it to their audiences to help them, you know, get across the questions and the conversation that you need to have in order to, you know, make sales, you know, build a brand, a relationship, things like that. Awesome. And so uh, what got you into being a copywriter? Well, it was weird because I did uh, seven years in construction. Um and it was one of those things, those long hours, I just, I got sick of it. You know, my kids grew up while I was at work because I would just kind of go to work in the morning when the sun wasn't up and come home after it was down. And I missed most of their time growing up and I, I just kind of had it. Um, I turned to the internet and started learning marketing. And it was just really weird because uh, one, of the, one of my mentors was teaching me email marketing. And we found out that I had this natural knack for emails and you know, when he was, we were talking about the things I could do, it just eventually turned to copywriting. And then I met some more copywriters and kind of found out that it, it was like a natural step for me as a person. Do you find yourself, uh, you make your own hours? How does this, how does this work? Yeah, pretty much. I, I mean, uh, for the most part, I work with people in different areas. Like I may work with people in California and like you said, I'm in West Virginia. So that's like opposite ends of the country. So I mean, then I work with people here and in other countries. And so for the most part, I kind of adapt my hours and kind of do however I want because I'm basically freelance. So awesome. And so is that like a uh, you have like a flat rate that you charge or is a, this is an hourly rate when it comes to uh, certain projects? Uh, usually what I do is we kind of I, I look at what, you know, my clients need 
and what's going to get them towards their goals. So usually we just start out with, you know, how can I help you best? How can we get you to this goal? And then we make a plan and then we customize the rates based off of that. You know, some people need more than others do. Others, you know, just are kicking off a project and there's a lot more to cover. So for the most part, I just kind of come up with a project package for them. And then we set the rates based off of that. Are, are there any projects that was like your favorite to work on when it came to copywriting? Uh, I've had a mix of ones that were just really great. And they were all made up of either really laid back people that were just really cool to work with or crazy brands that were just really bold and, you know, just their voice and the way they were was just fun to write. So. And, and how long is a process like this? Does it take to do something like that? Uh, really, it all depends again on the project. Um, but like just for a, a general idea, usually the way things goes, we, you know, we get on a call, we discuss, you know, like I said, how I can best help you and how we can get you to your goal. And then, you know, we kind of, basically strategize how we're moving forward. And then from there, I do a couple of days of research into your audience, uh, a couple of days of writing, and then a couple of days of editing and we're ready to go. So it, in all honesty, depending on size, it could be anywhere from a week and a half to four weeks. Uh, and maybe you get this question a lot, but what is the difference between copywriting and trademarking? Uh, well, copywriting, the, uh, everybody always asks that because of the fact that, uh, <laughs> You know, most people aren't used to thinking about a copywriter, which is uh, W-R-I-T-E-R. They're usually thinking about copyright, R-I-G-H-T, uh, which kind of falls in with trademarking. So gotcha. I don't protect your uh, uh, intellectual properties. I just help you turn them into words that make people want to buy them. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, yeah, and I, I can see how people get that confused. Uh <laughs> And so when it so when it comes to you being a copywriter, uh, I want to make sure I say that right through the rest of this episode so people don't get confused. Uh, how do you um, determine on how you need to change uh, your writing per demographic? Is it by demographic? Is it by maybe the product? Um, well, it's yes to all of that. Um, the way it works is I, I typically look at, you know, the brand. So we kind of pick out the brand voice, in which case, like, let's say I was working with you on something. One of the first questions I'd ask you is, so what, you know, to get an idea of what your brand is, who the face of your brand is. And if you said you, then it would be you that I'm trying to emulate in writing. Then what I would do is I would look at your product and the market you're selling to and see what they're kind of used to hearing, what sort of things, you know, motivate them to want to buy things. And then I would kind of use that and shape what I said after. Um, and some things, there'll be some brands that uh, some products, like uh, for example, I'd, first to come to mind would be like Ecom. Ecom, you'll have a product that's for a woman's for, you know, empathetic or more just feminine in the way you write. And then others that are, you know, really masculine, or I actually wrote for a men's health uh, company one point in time that literally the whole voice was basically like a, a jock kid senior you know senior in high school and that's what it sounded like I, that one was really fun and weird to write for but you know it, it was their brand voice and it was how I talked in that voice how do you prepare for something like that where you can just switch up like that I a lot of it comes from research um, one of the things that 
like a good copywriter will do is spend a good section of time in research. So like, for example, if we've got a big project and let's say it's going to take four weeks out of that four weeks, a week to a week and a half, I'm researching your market. I'm researching your brand. Um, I'm figuring out how to talk to them and I'm developing your brand voice and then writing. Okay. And then, so, uh, is that also part of your, your market analysis, uh, process as well? Yeah, that's actually, uh, when you think about market analysis, it's usually just analytics and stuff that you're looking at or demographics. And when I research, I go much deeper than that. And then, so what's the difference between, uh, so you use your, you have your market analysis and then, uh, when it comes to uh, doing your analysis, is there any type of software, uh, how are you doing your research uh, when it comes to that? There's a bunch of different ways. Um, one of the main things that I like to do is try to get in with whoever I'm writing to. Um, the closer you can get to them and to where they're talking and to what they're doing, you know, the more effectively you can actually communicate with them. Um, one of the ways I like to say it best is when you know your prospect better than they do, you know, you can really get inside their head and really talk to them from where they're at and help them find their solution, if that makes sense. Yeah, because you're coming at, definitely because you're probably coming from a fresh point of view. I think it's mm -hmm. uh, for, a lot, for a lot of us, it's, it's hard to see some, certain things when we're in it versus somebody saying, hey, you know, fresh face that has you know, obviously some background in business and marketing. Hey, look, you could do these things. These things would be attractive uh, to the you know, potential customers. Uh, I wanted That's to talk about... Um, some of your talking points. And so you, you mentioned about uh, how to find overlooked money already in a business. What do you mean by that? Uh, one of the biggest things, I work a lot inside of the inbox for a lot of my clients. I handle their, their follow-ups, um, you know, their, a lot of their ad sets and all that. And there's a lot of different ways you can use an audience that somebody has already built or an audience that was at one point interested or very active. And you can turn that around into more money. Uh, what one phrase or not even phrase, but one way of putting it is the lifetime value of a client. Uh, a lot of my clients themselves will have lists and I help them get, you know, extend the, uh, the financial value of each person on their list by finding more ways to monetize that list. And so maybe, uh, you know, you said you work best in emails, correct? That's one of the places so, I specialize. Yeah. And so like in the email, maybe I can get somebody on a subscription, maybe I can get mm -hmm. somebody on buying one service. So you're finding different ways to try to monetize that one uh, individual without making them feel like, like, man, I'm giving this company all my money. Yeah, that's one of the things like I like to use, uh, which a lot of people really struggle with this when they're running their own, you know, any of their own marketing is turning it into a conversation rather than a sale. Um, one of the neatest things that you could do if you could turn everything conversational or make it feel like the, you know, you're really building the relationship, which anytime that you're trying to help anybody, you should never really feel bad about trying to sell them something. I mean, you're trying to get them a result, right? We're trying to get them past the problem. And a lot of people have a hard time kind of relating that. But, you know, when you work with someone like me, we step in and help you ease that over. And when we do that and we make this more of a relationship and a more of a helpful thing, that's when you really see the lifetime value of every customer. So where, where does a business leave off at when you help them for three to four weeks? How do they make sure that they sustain uh, the jumpstart? It sounds like you give them. Well, the way we usually work is uh, for example, on like a, let's say it's a four week project. It's usually the front end. 
where we're bringing people in through a funnel, we're selling them a product, and then we're moving them to an email list. And I help them set up everything. We get them automated so that everyone that comes in through this continues to go and they go through the same process. Then pretty much after that, it's kind of up to them as to what they decide to do. They can either, a lot of them will keep me as a consultant or a lot of them will pay me to write their emails for them and continue it on a newsletter sort of basis. Or, you know, they'll kind of add their own newsletters to it where they just kind of turn it into story. Uh, a lot of them, when I, when I leave them, we kind of go over the, all right, so from here, this is the kind of thing you want to do. And as long as you continue like this, you, you will start seeing, you know, your, your relationship with your audience will continue to grow. You know, this will happen, that'll happen, and you can continue to monetize. It. And, you know, it, it's kind of, it's up to them. I don't, you know, push my way in with a, ha ha, you're started. Now you're stuck. You have to hire me again. It's more of a, like, just like anything else, it's a relationship. So when I work with a client, I'm building that relationship with them the whole time we're working together. And like I said, I leave them with a plan as to what they want to do next. If they decide to include me in it, that's awesome. If not, they have an idea of what to do. Uh, what email uh, marketing strategy you find works the best? Is it the newsletters? Is it the, hey, big sale going on? Click on this now before you miss out. Like, what have you noticed kind of works to get people your, your more click through rate? I get you. Um, a, a lot of it's different depending on the audience, really. Like okay. I work with everything from e-com to coaches. So the strategy okay. for a coach would be different than a course creator a little bit. And both of them would be different from e-com. Uh, one of the things I see a lot with e-com is they're always trying to throw out a sale. And I always warn against that. So anytime you're doing you know, emails, you don't want to keep giving out sales and discounts. I know everybody thinks that, you know, if, if I keep doing this, they'll keep buying. And while that's true, you're conditioning your subscribers to only buy from you when you're giving them a sale. So they're not going to come back and pick it up. Um, and like for another example, let's say a coach, and one of the biggest things that I try to do with them, you want to tell stories and build up the bond with you because people like, let's say you, they're working with you as a consultant or a coach, they're hiring you as a person who happens to be an expert, not hiring you as an expert who happens to be a person, if that makes sense. So that's what we want to build with. Them. And I like the fact that you touched on uh, building a relationship with your clients and then also building a relationship with the uh, customers that you're trying to market towards, uh, not just trying to spoon uh, or force feed, you know, content mm. down their throats to be like, all right, I'll, I'll buy now. Uh, I've noticed that over time, and this works on me too, uh, I will be more than likely to buy something from you if I've been watching your YouTube videos for like six months or maybe mm -hmm. I've seen this ad consistently and now I want to do some research on it, research on it. And you did some you did some type of hook that made me feel like it, you were relatable and made me laugh. And then, you know, I'm more than likely to buy it. And I've been hearing more and more as I've been listening more and more people talk about marketing, like that is the best way to do it. Um, unless you're obviously maybe like old school uh, companies that already have a report like Coca-Cola or something, you know? Yeah. Probably don't have to try as hard. Yeah, that it's different because they've been building a rapport with generations of your family before you were even thought of. So you already have that. But uh, one of the things I try to get across, like whether I'm teaching new copywriters or I'm working with a client, is people buy the relationship. That's what they want. You know, you know, nobody, I, nobody wants another product. Nobody wants another expert to tell them how to live. But 
they love advice from a friend who cares. That makes sense. Uh, I, I definitely uh, agree with that as well. Uh, what did you mean by uh, turning your mess into your message to make people love, love you for it? Well, one of the things with that is everybody has this thing where uh, they, they want to start out and they want to get a point across the point that, hey, I'm an expert. You know, and like, if you look, you can see this in almost everything, every course, you know, 90% of coaches, uh, you know, they, they all just kind of keep pushing across the point. Like I am a doctor. I did this. I finished college. I, this, that, and the (laughs) other, but the thing that they don't talk about is the car accident when they were a teenager that turned their life around. They don't talk about the way that they failed and they were almost homeless until they realized that a life and, you know, helping other people was what really helped them. And that's the sort of thing that I like to help them, you know, hone in, in on their message and turn the mess that, you know, got them to where they are into the message they share, which makes them more relatable, more human, more approachable, you know, things like that. And I guess it goes to what you were saying is people buy the um, relationship. Exactly. Um, or, you know, the, I guess the, the, the classic rags to riches, like, hey, I was just like you 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. This is the things I used to do, living paycheck to paycheck. You know, well, I mean, everybody, you know, if, if you're going to work with somebody and you think about it for a minute, if you're in a point where you're almost homeless and, you know, everything that you've gotten for Christmas over the last couple of years and your birthday, is, you're turning around and you're selling it just to put ramen noodles on the stove. You're one person in a world full of what, 7.2 billion, I think it is. And odds are out of that 7.2 billion, you know, you're going to find an audience of at least 1 million who are all in that same struggle. And because you share their struggle, they want to work with you. They want you to show them how you got success so that they can do it themselves because they believe they can because you're coming from the same background. And is that part of finding the hidden value in the customer is also figuring out how you can relate to them? That's one of the things you can do. Like there's, there's just something about being able, you know, uh, when you hear a story like that, and if you, you know, you're the one who is going through it, you, there's like a psychological thing you go through where you're like, wow, this guy really gets me. He knows exactly where I'm coming from, you know? And it's not even really one of the things, like a lot of people seem to think of it as like grimy, but the thing is it's, you're trying to help people. And when you think about, you know, coming to where they're at or worse from where from worse than where they are now you're really just doing them a favor by helping them go from the problem they're in to the solution they need to get out of it you know and it, as long as the way i've always described it because a lot of people think of you know what we do marketing and especially copy as being like manipulative but the thing is if you're doing something with a good intention and you know for sure you can help honestly you're actually obligated to do it you know you can't go through life knowing you have the solution and not provide it you know i I look at it just as you are putting it um you're advertising it to people that maybe wouldn't have noticed it uh originally because there are a lot of businesses out there or services out there that i just was not aware of until all of a sudden now Mm -hmm. popped up on my facebook timeline or my you know google ads at the top so um, I don't, I get what they're saying. Like, I know some companies, they do really big market analysis on 
uh, certain demographics, certain people. And, you know, statistically, that's what that demographic does. And so they use it to their advantage. I think that's mostly just strategy. It's up to us mm. to be able to um, make the right decisions. Uh, exactly. Credit card companies, they know that we're more than likely 18% more likely to spend more money if we use a credit card advice cash. But I mean, that's us. That's our responsibility. <laughs> yeah. yeah, nobody's Definitely. putting a hip, you know, doing a hypnosis on us. So that's kind of how I look at it. You know, uh, that's just being an adult and making right, you know, the right decisions. But I think when you're providing a service and yeah, like you said, providing a service and it's with good intentions. Hey, man, you know, what, what do you want? I'm doing I'm doing the right thing, providing a exactly. service to our community. So. And so it. Also, too, when it comes to uh, finding a hidden value in the customer, building that relationship, uh, how, success, how successful or how about this? When it comes to, you know, your job as the copywriter, uh, mm-hmm. I guess this depends on the product or the company as far as when you try to build a bond with a customer, how long you, the intention is to keep that customer. Because you talked about earlier how to monetize them the most but is it discussed on how long to try to keep them as well? Like, Hey, we want to keep them for five years or it, I'm assuming it's based off the brand or the, or whatever is being sold. Uh, most of it's actually based on the customer. Um, there's okay. this, this idea of pain levels and interest levels um, as to how, you know, into the solution or into the brand somebody is um, a lot of times, like, I'll give you an example. We'll, we'll use an email list just because this mm-hmm. is one of the easiest to track of this. You'll see a lot of emails drop off at the three month part, but you'll see almost as many, if not more who are there in 10 years. And the thing is all the ones that dropped off at three months, they really aren't your, what you'd call your ideal customer. They may have been part of on that journey and their journey may have changed, but the ones that are on there for 10 years are the ones who make up all of the value of your list. Gosh. Okay. And so what type of call to actions uh, do you find to be the most successful when it comes to emails or sales page ads? Um, There's, there's a mix of them. I think one of the biggest things to look at is the things that you don't want to do in them, which is words like if you don't want to use, if you're giving people a way to escape. I mean, if you want this click here, you're giving them a reason to go, I no, I really don't want that. Um, when you do this, if you, uh, let's say you kind of take a lot of the authority away from it, um, you know, in different ways with the way you say things, uh, one of the things that a lot of people do is put submit submits a word that it's up for debate really, whether or not it does or doesn't work. But when's the last time you sat and said, I want to submit to someone, you know, know? the only time I'm ever putting submit is when I'm like submitting for an application, but not submitting to buy something. Exactly. Um, Another one, uh, one of the biggest things I've seen is if you use this, and this is one that is a what you want to use, give them ownership in the call to action. So grab your book here, uh, you know, or grab my book. So it's coming from their perspective, because when people read it and they see, you know, like, oh, I, they get like this feeling of ownership. And once they get that feeling, if something's yours, you want to grab it, don't you? You don't want to just leave it set around. So Exactly I felt it right now. When you said that, I felt it like, yeah, I'm going to grab my book. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's so, it's so funny. It is manipulative. See? Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> It was helping you. <laughs> exactly. Now, I, and I, I ask these questions for, um, 
just it's the small things like that, right? When it comes to building building a, a website or or sending out your email list. A lot of people I see like, hey, send out your email list. You send out seven thousand emails of you know your discount or come to your page. But a lot of times I, you don't really get too much information about what are you putting in there that makes people want to click at least 25% of the time, you know, people click yeah. on it. Uh, and then also follow through with the sale or the process of building a, you know, a relationship uh, throughout mm -hmm. that time frame. And so uh, with that, uh, how do you, how do you get in at prospects head before you ever talk to them? Uh, one of the ways I do, um, I kind of find groups and stuff where they're talking and actually I'll give you one that you can use the easiest. Um, the best example of this is like a Facebook group, right? Let's say you start a Facebook group and let's say we're selling keto. Okay. We've got this great keto diet and coaching that goes with it and a trainer that adds off the end of it. Um, you start a Facebook group and you get all these people that are into it in. And literally, you can just ask them questions and they'll basically tell you what they want you to sell them. Yeah, this is and true. And that works for any entrepreneur. Yeah, this is true. You do like a, I don't know if you probably have to be the owner or the admin of the group page, but you could do like a poll and see what people yeah. vote on as well. No, that's actually, yeah, that's actually very smart. And so- uh, That brings your audience to you. No, it does. And easily, and I see people do it on like YouTube too. Like, hey, leave a comment below if you want me to start doing this, you know, this, that, and the third. So, okay. And then also with that, uh, creating offers that customers beg for. So I guess that's when you're figuring out what they're begging for is through those polls, through asking through the groups. Yeah, that's, that's one way. Uh, the other thing is how you build your offer. Um, one of the things you want to do is try to look at your bonuses as something that'll add on to the original thing. So for example, let's use that keto thing again. All right. And let's say we're selling the ultimate keto, uh, you know, uh, course, or even not even a course, just like a, a six week program with one of our, you know, trainers. Well, if you're getting that, plus you're getting a course that adds on to it. So you're never left alone wondering, you know, how to say cook something or, you know, what to pick up at the grocery store. Okay. Then on top of that, we've got a checklist that you're going to take with you to the grocery store every day to know what to buy, what you cannot buy. We're also going to give you, you know, this great book of recipes so that even when you're done with this, you still have all the greatest recipes for the most delicious food without, you know, risking ruining this diet. Um, and we keep adding things like that, or even like a calculator for, different parts or uh, different parts of what you eat and stuff like that. You just want to keep adding on uh, to create more value around the offer rather than a discount. And that's one of the ways that, you know, I, I talk about building a, an irresistible offer. The more it seems like it's, you know, you're uh, I think one of the ways one of my mentors put it was when it seems like you're actually ripping yourself off, that's when you feel you've got a great offer. You've turned it into a no brainer. And so like maybe, Somebody will say, hey, uh, grab my free ebook when you purchase the, the webinar. Yeah. You buy this training, you're going to get this and this, and this is what they're going to do along with this. And that's really when you've, you know, you've built like an ultimate offer. And so, you know, some people, and naturally I understand, they're like, you know, hey, I spent all this time with this 50 page ebook and I kind of want to sell it. Uh, how do you, what's the game plan when it comes to creating content that you know in the future will be a bundle versus something that you wanted to stand on its own? 
Well, one of the things you can do if you're trying to create something that, you know, like to give you an idea, like uh, let's say we're going to create a training that goes along this book. Everything you do on YouTube, every video you do, every time you do your own podcast, you're creating something that if you're providing enough value, this actually has a financial value later. Um, yes. To give you an example, I've actually seen people take podcast episodes that they did five years ago when nobody else was teaching this. And now people are teaching it and selling it. They pull the podcast off and now you've got an audio course or an audio book on how to do something. So you've literally just created content that's got a financial value. And as a bonus, it's got a ton of value. No, you're right. That's actually pretty smart. My, my only comparison was I actually wrote enough um, blogs to where mm -hmm. I was going to put it into an ebook. It was just a, uh, lessons learned, landlord lessons learned year one, two, and three. Uh, I think I was going to go up to five and then I was going to put it into a book. And then absolutely, um, man, use the, you know, cause the blogs were about, I don't know, 1500 words a piece, 2,500 words, and then, uh, put it, bundle it together. I think, cause I've noticed some people, they may just read that one blog, but if I put it in a book, maybe they'll just done reading the whole book. Yeah. Well, actually, that's that's really uh, cool that you mentioned that, because I can think of a couple copywriters off the top of my head who have literally literally written entire, you know, multiple volumes of a copywriting book or a persuasion book that were all just blog posts they put out. See? They pulled them. Yeah. And I mean, you just and that's awesome because you get to re reuse your content and Mm -hmm. it's a good way to start off your first book. Uh, it gets you started because <laughs> you already uh, typed it all up. Uh, how involved are you when it comes to how they, uh, their message on their website? Um, a lot of clients. And again, this all really depends because I've worked with a lot of different clients of different budgets. Some will only want me to consult them and kind of guide them on what to write. Others will literally hand me the keys and be like, Hey man, you drive it. And in which case then I'm writing everything, every page, every headline, everything the whole way across. Awesome. And so, um, where can people find you? I don't want to go too far without asking that. Where can people find to, to get, you know, get your services? Well, there's a couple of places. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. I'm Greg Blake. I think you can actually search for me as Greg Blake copywriter. And I think I come up, uh, same thing with Instagram. And other than that, uh, www.gregbcopy.com. Uh, if you go on there, you can actually book a free call with me and we can kind of consult on your new project or a project you need fixed. Yeah, man. Cause you, uh, you know, you only gave me, you gave me like two examples and I'm like, ah, you know what? I would buy that. I would buy that book. All right. And so uh, how do you uh, maximize the effect of the content that you help with the uh, with these companies? Uh, there's a lot of different things you can do depending on how we're delivering the content. Like, for example, if it's a video or audio, a lot of times your cadence and, you know, your emphasis on words will play a big role in how, you know, how it will change or affect their state and their reception of it. And uh, it's just like kind of like thinking about like a movie, right? If you're watching a movie and there's there's a story going on in it, obviously, and there are certain parts where the music or just the way they're talking or even like a video game, you can tell just by the feel of the room you walk into, you know, you, you get this feeling. And that's actually one thing that helps with like video content um, in text. We kind of go for a few little uh, 
like, you know, we come from wherever they're at or we walk them through a story. Story is like massively powerful and it doesn't matter how you deliver it, whether it's audio, video or text, that's got a lot of power to it. And that really helps people relate with what you've got in a way that they don't feel they're being sold. Um, other than that, though, like just in, let's say, a normal sales page, we'll do a lot of little uh, psychological steps on it where, you know, we're going to ask people to, you know, take micro actions, if you will, throughout the copy, whereas where it's where they kind of future pace themselves. What's a micro so, action? I, it's kind of, it's not really an official term, but it's something like where, say, we're going to ask somebody to kind of, we're going to try to inspire them to picture this or to future pace themselves. Oh, okay. So kind of like yeah. trying to think of an example where it's like, picture yourself doing this, you know, close your eyes. Exactly. Where do you see yourself in five years if you were to do this? Yeah, we do it every day in face-to-face -face sales. And it's a lot simpler that way because um, usually if you ask the right questions to begin with, you know exactly what to say. In copy, you can't really enter into that. You have to know where you're entering into the conversation and guide this conversation. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and it sounds like uh, there's a bit of sociology behind this as well, man. A lot of sociology bit, and yeah. psychology. Yeah, there's a little bit of that in there. And so uh, I, I want to talk about, you also brought up about growing broke to being paid fast. What did you, what did you mean by that? What was that? Uh, from going broke to being paid fast, as far as your your own oh. Uh, copyright? Oh, okay. My own. Yeah. I, I actually, uh, when I started copywriting, um, I was doing it basically for free. Um, I started learning it and I spent all this time reading books, taking trainings, and I never really felt like there was any value to what I was doing because it was something that kind of came easy to me. So it was like, you know, to tell somebody like, Hey, you know, it's going to cost like a thousand bucks for me to do all that was it, it just felt like, uh, I don't know. I felt like it was wrong doing it because I didn't have results to back it up all that. Um, as I got results though, I started to actually turn it into something I made money with. And during the point in time, I had no clients. I had just been laid off of one of my jobs. I was in construction. That's normal. And I was like, all right, we got to make this work. And I got started. I took off running and it just kind of snowballed and it turned into what I did full time. Awesome. And so you, uh, and are you still, are you still doing this? Are you doing this by yourself? No help. Or you have like Just a me. team. I've, I've got, uh, I've started training some copywriters on like email and stuff. And maybe eventually at some point I'll start to turn it into an agency or something. But at the moment it's all me freelance. I work with agencies. I work with clients. So. Uh, how can, uh, how do you uh, promote yourself as far as uh, providing services to train other copywriters? Are you, are you promote yourself on Facebook or? I really don't promote it. I started actually, it was kind of weird because I was in a group with copywriters and had a couple of them ask, you know, just details on stuff in the group. And I was like, I'll show you that. Maybe we can hop on a Zoom. I'll show you through it. And that was how my community started to build. I had, you know, other copywriters who were way behind me on their, you know, just starting out on their journey. And they, they just kind of invited friends who were in the same place and like, Hey, this guy's teaching us stuff and he's helping. And 
it just started like that and slowly other people have come in and joined and other new copywriters have found it. Um, friends who are entrepreneurs who know other freelancers just starting out, they invite them and it's starting to build a little bit of a community. Yeah, this, I've seen a lot of people benefit from those Facebook groups. Uh, you end up finding people that you didn't know needed help. And the next thing you know, you have a, uh, you have a network. Mm -hmm. it, it's crazy how it works, but it's really neat, though, because I actually uh, one of the things that I've always liked about everything I did, you know, any job I had, I always end up ended up being a trainer. So teaching just kind of I don't know, it was kind of something I, I knew would eventually happen with this, but it took a while of act, you know, until you get over that imposter syndrome bit that everybody goes through when they start anything. Um, once you finally get over that, you realize that, Hey, I can actually teach people. And to be honest, the neatest thing, and this is one of the things I found out since I started marketing, as long as you have people who are a little bit behind you on the journey and you start teaching them, you actually learn everything ahead of you faster. And why do you say that? You say, as long as you have people that's a little bit behind you, you end up learning. If you're faster. teaching them. Yeah. When you're teaching them, you like take the things that you're learned or that you've learned and you really solidify them. Like they, they become like concrete to you. And once they become concrete, things that you're learning ahead of you come to you easier. Okay. I get what you're saying. You and, get what I mean? Yeah. And I get what you mean by the imposter syndrome because you're in my so naturally for me in my head I feel very confident about like what I'm thinking what I'm doing and then when I'm like trying to explain it to somebody and try to teach them I'm like hmm is that even legal like I started even start <laughs> <laughs> like what was that was what I was doing was okay you know I do start to feel like well what makes me the expert you know uh yeah. but I, I get what you're saying I get what you're saying so uh, how do you uh, structure your offers so that uh, you can liquidate uh, your ad costs? Uh, it's, it's actually mostly about doing a, like, I, I guess the easiest way to think of it is, have you got, have you seen any of those, you know, I've got you this free book, all you have to do is pay shipping. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Okay. That gets you the one yes prior to anything. Anytime anybody says yes, it's easier to get them to say yes a second time. So we do what we call a self-liquidating offer. And it doesn't have to be that $7.99, $9.99 book. You could start with an ebook at $1.99 or 99 cents. You've gotten that yes. So you take them into another offer that's another, you know, it's pretty much a no-brainer that, you know, oh man, I just bought this $1.99 book. I might as well get the audio audio version for five more bucks. And you get that second yes. And the moment you get the second yes, you're liquidating your ad cost. And it, yeah. again, the pricing on that doesn't have to be what we just walked through. There's a ton of different ways to set this up, depending on what you've got to offer. Yeah. Is there any, cause it seems like it, uh, everybody's got a, a kind of an idea or plan, especially people that have been doing it for a long time, but for like, I'm a, I'm a template guy. I love templates. Like, Hey, you mm -hmm. give me a blueprint and I'll go from there and make it into my own. Uh, have you ever done something like that for a company in order for them to kind of be good after you're done with them? like some type of blueprint or template? I've, I've helped some people create them um, more for uh, like their outreach or their follow up with new, new prospects, I guess, um, where literally there, there's a lot though to it that they got to add and it'll have like the conditions as to what they want to do. So it's not a normal template as you know, you would think of where 
you would just kind of, it would say this, my product and leave a space and go in, but it's more along the line of a guideline or a framework to follow yeah. with a few things in, you know, but yeah, also, I, I've given some clients that. And so what's the, what is the end goal for a copywriter? What's the, what's the, what is the top notch or the highest elevation for a copywriter? Um, it all really depends because there's so much you can do with anything. Uh, since it's the digital age, you can go almost to the, you know, we can almost go to Mars now. Um, but one of the things that like, for example, I could become an instructor or I could become a consultant or I could own an agency and any one of those, I'm kind of the trading my time to cash is a little bit different. Um, I could also become what they call a copy chief, which is where you have a whole bunch of less experienced copywriters below you and they write, you basically edit and that's your whole job. And while you're going, you kind of teach them to become better. So it makes your job easier. Um, there's, there's a few different ways. Like I've even seen some of them become marketing directors and, you know, some will just become like uh, community owners where they have like a whole community and they teach and that's all they do anymore. Um, others become authors. Uh, it's, it's really crazy how far you can develop it and what you yeah, can do with it. I mean, that's, I like, I like the freedom in that, you know, the being able mm -hmm. to go so many different career paths in the copywriting uh, market. Uh, and I've grown a huge respect for branding and marketing uh, throughout this process because uh, I always said that I was never good at sales. Um, I don't know if you ever heard of uh, prepay legal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually, uh, Legal Shield now. Yeah, Legal Shield now. Yep. Yeah. And that was, I guess, that was my first sales gig, and I I was horrible at it. And uh, but what I did not learn back then was to build a relationship to that icebreaker. You know, to get people to want to talk to me. I, I'm not really an introvert, but I, I'm not the type of person to I don't know. I, I, at the time, I was not the best at being able to persuade somebody to say, mm -hmm. hey, look, I have something that you possibly may, may want. And I think it could help you and your family and friends. Uh, as the years have gone by and I've started to build a rich state of mind brand, I've gotten a little bit better, but I definitely see how some people have like it's like they're calling, but I'm working on it. But it's a part of my degree as well, actually. So hopefully my degree kind of helps me on it. Uh, but uh, I You've helped me re, uh, even more hone in on what this business does as far as the, the, the marketing realm and how it can really, uh, it's worth the money. It is worth the investment. I, I can honestly say that, you know, not to just stick your product out there and say, I got the best water out there, uh, come buy it. And then people are like, all right, so says you, you know, well, what's so, uh, what's so good about it? Why, why be more persuasive? What's your story? You know, did you grow up and you was drinking well water that was dirty? And then now that made you want to, you know, make a, a, a better water with P, better pH yeah. balance. And then now, uh, you know, that's your thing. So I get what you're saying or picking up what you're putting down. So uh, I want to know, man, what is your your big why? What's your rich state of mind as to why you like doing this job? Well, I mean, the, just like with anybody else, there's, you know, multiple different whys for me. Um, why I enjoy doing this was I actually had somebody I was learning off of who put it to me in a way that I understood it and it became ingrained. Mm -hmm. um, before I ever got into construction, what I was giving up was I was actually offered a uh, tattoo apprenticeship 
I was going to be a tattoo artist. Um, you know, I was an artist, I was a musician. That was what I loved to do. And when I first started with writing emails and copy for my own marketing, I struggled at it for the first, you know, I mean, I, it was still, it was pretty good because it was all conversational, but to really make it mine and something I loved and enjoyed, it took somebody explaining to me that the same process you use to write copy is the same one you use to write a song or paint a picture. And the moment that they, you know, they explained it in something that related to me. And I mean, you could do this for anybody in multiple different ways. And it all just depends on what really speaks to them. But for me, that's what spoke to me and made this mine. Um, it, it really helped me kind of focus on where I was falling short as a copywriter and why I was falling short on it. But yet when I would sit down and play music, I could do it and it was great. And when I would, you know, draw pictures or paint pictures, why it was that they turned out better than I expected. But when I first started writing emails, they were just, you know, better than most or, you know, better than I did the last time. So it, it really kind of gave me a perspective as to how to, I guess, hone my craft. Um, Another thing, and one of the biggest whys for me was, like I said, uh, as far as why I keep doing this, why I keep going. Um, when I was working construction, I had my two oldest sons, which pretty much grew up while I was at work, right? And I had another son a couple of years later, and, you know, he's little, I didn't want to miss out on him. So you know, it was like, man, I got to get out of this somehow. I want to be there for him. And now that I'm doing this, I can kind of move work around a little bit when I, I call him the little boss, when he says it's quit time, it's quit time, you know? So that's my, my main why that keeps me going. You have uh, three kids in total. Yeah. I have three boys. Three boys. Uh, we have, uh, we have three, well, two, and then one should be here in about two weeks. So Ooh. yeah, girl, a uh, little girl. So uh -oh. Should be very interesting, man. And uh, I'm really, uh, we're really blessed, actually. And then it sounds like you're a blessed father as well, man. Uh, the three boys. And um, now you have the flexibility to be home. Because mm -hmm. that was one of the first questions I asked. I'm like, hey, what's your hours? Like, I make my own hours. So I'm like, that's what's up. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, it's been, a, it's been a pleasure, man. Thanks for educating me and our audience. Uh, like I said before we started recording, I, I might have said at the beginning of this episode, like, hey, man, I don't, I don't know anything about this at all. But it's another piece of the puzzle in order to give somebody the idea of how to make uh, their business whole. Who else do they need to have on their team in order to uh, keep their business uh, as um, you know, profitable as possible and to bring in, uh, keep those old customers and bring in new. So thank you so much for this, man. It's been a pleasure. Oh, no problem, man. I'm glad to do it. I always love to teach um, and you know, kind of show people other perspectives of things. So uh, and it's been really awesome to be on here. I'm really glad we got a chance to connect and, you know, thanks for having me. No problem, man. Thank you for sticking with us from the start of the episode. Please share our show with friends and family, visit our YouTube channel and view more of our content on richstateofmind.com. See you next week on the Rich State of Mind show.